You know how to de-escalate a situation, right? Correct. The very first females to ever ride in a squad car was in 1976. That ever happens again, I'm turning on you because I nearly got killed in there. I've never sold anything in my life except for getting somebody into handcuffs without fighting. And now, the safety zone. Welcome, folks, to another episode of The Safety Zone with Mike McCarty. I'm your host, Melinda Ron. And Mike, we have a special guest today. And I'm going to let you introduce her because I know you go way back. And we'll get into the details of our program. Absolutely. So welcome, Dottie Davis, to The Safety Zone. Dottie and I go back further than maybe I want to admit. I think we met, I would say virtually, but I don't think there were virtual environments back when I was with Nashville PD and part of the domestic violence division and was getting ready to move back to Indiana. So Dottie's been a pioneer in both women in policing, domestic violence, intervention versus reaction. So we've worked together for years. So welcome, Dottie. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be with you this morning. And we want to talk about really what is called this 30 by 30 initiative in law enforcement that is really interesting. So, Dottie, why don't you help our listeners kind of understand what this is and what what, what is kind of the goal of this initiative? Sure. So the 30 by 30 initiative is to have 30 percent female recruits in classes by the year 2030. And this brainchild actually was created by Chief of Police Yvonne Roman from Newark PD out of New Jersey. And she approached National Institute of Justice to say, look, I've been in law enforcement for a long time, and we're still sitting at about 12% female officers nationwide within our law enforcement agencies. And you know, why aren't we making any strides? Why can't we recruit more women? Why aren't we retaining the women that we have? And so NIJ put some dollars toward it, and they put together a research committee, and they started to study this issue. And they came up with a lot of barriers as to why those things may be happening. I know the agency that I came from, I was really happy because we had about 9% female officers. And when I became the director of our police academy, that was one of my focuses was to try to recruit more women into the ranks. Well, why don't you, as you kind of talk about recruiting at Fort Wayne Police Department, where you retired from, why don't you give our listeners an idea of your career path there and what you did at Fort Wayne. Sure. So I came on the agency in 1981 when there were very few women in policing. As a matter of fact, I think we were considered test tube babies that (laughs) they wanted to see whether or not we could actually survive survive outside of that tube and whether or not we could actually hold our own. And I took a lot of pride in that career path. When I came on, there were about five women on the department at the time. And pretty much the attitude was just go along to get along. Don't let anybody look at you that you are a woman. Don't identify as a woman. Just be one of the guys. And I have always prided myself in the fact that I remained my true self. I am of feminine qualities and I wasn't willing to hide that. And I found that by being true to myself, it helped me mentally prepare for the job better. And it also allowed me to recruit other women to see that they could do that job as well. So I was a patrol officer, and then I was promoted to the rank of sergeant. 
from sergeant to lieutenant, and then to captain, and finally ended up as a deputy chief of police, third um, rank on the agency of about 460 officers. And in the state of Indiana, the average uh, size of a police department is about 12 to 20 men. And oh. so it was it was very interesting to see that mm-hmm. women could break those glass ceilings and some of the things that we did along the way to get there. Dottie, that's so- incredible. What an incredible career, but just kind of almost like being a pioneer. Well, I was also the first female officer to have a child and return to duty. And they had never Uh had a female officer. They just expected me to quit. And when I said, oh, no, I'm coming back, they're like, well, you can't be a mom and a police officer. And I'm like, oh, watch me. So (laughs) it was And now that I'm teaching for the uh, International Association of Chiefs of Police with Women's Leadership Program, that's one of the things I tell them. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do something. Figure it out and show them that you can. Yeah, that is fascinating. You know, it hit me when you said that. My wife's retired 20 years as a police officer up near Chicago. She's about the size of a toothpick. And I think she worked patrol well, up till she was like seven months pregnant. And they actually allowed her. I was like, wow, new gun belt. I mean, you know, it was a very interesting to see that happen. My perspective, when I started policing in 1991, so 10 years later, we were just starting to see women coming into law enforcement and being treated as equals. And I say that because... My whole chain of command when I was a detective were women, my sergeant, my lieutenant, my captain. It was fantastic. All of them became police officers at a time where they weren't allowed to work in patrol. They became police officers. They immediately stuck them in typically youth services where you could be a mom, but it was too dangerous to work patrol and on the street. So most of my peers that I came on with were kind of the first women to really work in a patrol car versus coming in and going straight to plain clothes. Yeah, I worked two thirds of my career in inner city patrol in Fort Wayne, a city of about 275,000 citizens. So it is very true that women can be quite effective law enforcement officers. As a matter of fact, to talk about the historical perspective, the very first females to ever ride in a squad car was in 1976. And it was in Indianapolis, Indiana. So the Midwest actually was, again, at the forefront of leading the charge and making changes in policing. And I just have to talk about why we want to recruit more women into policing, because many people haven't done this research. I've known this anecdotally. I've I've watched it going through the law enforcement agency for 30 some years and still to this day being a law enforcement trainer and interacting with officers across the country. But I also worked internal affairs division as an investigator for part of my career. And I knew then by looking at data that women, female officers receive fewer complaints, fewer lawsuits are filed against female officers. They also use less force, not because they're not capable. And some people would automatically A and B, okay, they use less force because they're not capable. No, because they usually use their voice and reasoning. And as you said, there's that nurturing aspect. Well, those of us who are women, we have a tendency to try to communicate. We will talk things out. We'll spend more time talking rather than going hands-on. And I told somebody the other day, you know what? 
I've never sold anything in my life except for getting somebody into handcuffs without fighting. <laughs> so you know how to de-escalate a situation, right? Correct. Which yes. in, in the temperature of our culture right now, and, and of course, so many wonderful police officers, but it's an interesting, I think an interesting point you're bringing up in the sense of just that ability to de-escalate a situation. Correct. We teach them from the academy. You have to have command presence. You have to be able to look like you can handle the situation if you need to, but you also, you start out with verbal commands, right? And so it's how you ask people. I can tell somebody to sit down and get them to comply, or I can scream, sit down, and we're going to be fighting, right? And so it's just learning how to communicate with people and Part of when I was at the academy, when we were doing recruitment, I looked at our hiring process and part of it is an interview. And we had command staff and patrol officers on that interview panel, but we didn't have much diversity. And I don't mean just as in race, but also gender. And also there were no civilians on that interview panel. And I remember the officer saying, well, what the heck does a civilian know about what a police officer needs to do and what characteristics they need to have? And I said, I think they want the same thing that we do. And so I said, I just want to try this. And the chief gave me permission to put two civilians on the six panel interview process. And all those questions were scripted and everybody scored individually. And then we took a composite score. Would it surprise you that the civilians wanted the exact same thing that all the officers on the panel wanted. They wanted someone who could communicate well, someone who was able to look at people, use good eye contact, be assertive, not aggressive, talk about what they could offer the community with their skills. And the scores were almost, they were almost even across the board. And I'm mm. like, I rest my case. So there's this fear because we've always done it this way. It's a paramilitary organization. Nobody likes change. They hate change. As a matter of fact, those that say they like change, they like it as long as it doesn't affect them. So that's true. So I, we we made a lot of changes in that process to try to get a more diverse group of people into our recruit classes. I think it's interesting because at the time I came into policing, there was this mindset that probably still somewhat exists that policing is a strength. It's a brute. It's a, I'm not the biggest man on the planet. Most guys that I arrested could probably pack my lunch pretty quickly. So it's more technique than it is strength. But I realized very quickly the best weapon I had. Yeah, your arms are bigger than mine, Dottie. My best weapon was my mouth. Shocking. <laughs> I was going to say. I learned. No. <laughs> I much rather talk, 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 talk than fight, 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 fight. And I've said a million times, all but one major altercation that I was involved in were as the direct result of a male police officer running their mouth at the scene. And I can remember standing behind my car one time after it was over and I was telling another officer in some very candid language that ever happens again. I'm turning on you because I nearly got mm -hmm. killed in there because of your mouth. And so that kind of mindset that you have to be brutally strong is kind of driven a lot of this, wouldn't you think? And I think 
we are trying to build more of a collegiate atmosphere now with recruit classes. It, it Certainly, there's a physical aspect to it, certainly defensive tactics, but we also spend a lot of time on firearms and all of that is absolutely necessary, but we have to build that communication skill. We also have to get officers to understand it's their community too. And so that community-oriented policing of networking with people, I think that's the best thing that I would tell officers today. Take every piece of education the department will give you. You carry that knowledge with you when you walk out the door and network, 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 because I really believe that you and I, Mike, wouldn't probably be in these positions that we're in training around the country and working with a wide variety of customers had we not built those networking opportunities. I mean, just you and I, our connection is based on that networking ability. So it's giving back to the community. It's being connected with your community. And that's a huge part of policing today. I saw it very quickly. And I can remember Christine Adcox. I went to the academy with Christine. I can remember standing on a domestic with Christine. And she talked ad nauseum to this guy, even to the point where I was like, we got to do something. This has got to be resolved. But I remember telling her later, thank you. Felt like a therapy session. But he walked to the car and basically handcuffed himself. And so I saw the value pretty quickly. There's no pride, right, Dottie? I mean, uh, let, let's be honest here. Most men, you say something to me, I take it personal. And I tell people all the time, they, they're lashing out at your uniform. But most of the men I work with, you say something about me being a donut eating. The next thing you know, I'm hot and I'm ready to get hands on. And the women that I work with, they just boop, boop. It just blew right over them. They just like, now, come on, come on. We're not. And the de-escalation continued. So we, I used to say there is no statute for contempt of cop. Okay. Get off your high horse here. And if we did more training about emotional intelligence with mm. our recruits, mm. we would be so far advanced mm. teaching them how to perceive emotion, to use that emotion to their advantage in their investigation. You'd have a much better outcome. So not only reading yourself and lear learning what your triggers are, but knowing how to read the person that you're dealing with uh, goes a long way. Dottie, you, you made a, a reference talking about you command authority, and that's not necessarily in a physical sense, but even in the way we speak, authority doesn't mean adversarial. And, and as you're talking as a mom, I have a teen, and I'm sitting there thinking the barrage you know, of, of words, and I think, really, it's, it's almost like, and, I, and this isn't to, to put to make anything sound bad, but it's almost like how a parent would be with a child. If a child's mouthing off at you and doing, you know, you, you have a different sense of how to speak to them versus getting Yeah, hot. Melinda, it's kind of like saying to a child, because I said so, I'm like, how effective is that? It, it, right. Doesn't, right. it doesn't work. It doesn't work as a parent. It doesn't work out on patrol right. because I said, so you're going to do this. And some people do not respect the uniform. And so you have to understand that from the get-go that just because you're wearing a uniform and driving a car with a star doesn't mean that you are given that respect. And it's sometimes a situation where you have to build that rapport with the people that you're dealing with, that you're, you know, it says you're to protect and serve. And so I think that's very important for us to point out that we have to do that kind of training in the academy with de-escalation skills. And I'm really happy that Indiana just passed that as part of the new requirement at the Indiana Law Enforcement Academy. And since 
LETB, our Law Enforcement Training Board, sets the standards for the state. All of our academies in the state will now have to be offering de-escalation training for their recruits. What's interesting is, as I saw, we've all looked at this incident with George Floyd. But one of the things that really caught me when I saw the totality of the video was when they were trying to put him into the vehicle. Every time they moved toward the vehicle, something happened with him. It wasn't like he was resisting, trying to fight them, but there was something spooking inside of him. Could it be the fentanyl, the drugs? Who knows? I told my wife as we were watching this, I said, if somebody could have just recognized when he's six feet from the car, he's fine. He was passive. He wasn't causing problems. But as you move toward the car, it's like dealing with a mental health issue or something. There was some trigger. Why not move him over, set him on the curb because he's not resisting at a distance. Realize there's something about going in the backseat of that car, call medics, whatever you need to do. But we want to rush the situation. And it's almost like we rushed it into some resistance and it turned into a horrible death. I was a former hostage negotiator for seven years. And so I take those skills and recognize that time is our, our friend in these investigations. And if you can slow it down, if you can build a relationship with that person, you can get them to cooperate or come along with you. It's a lot better than rushing it and ending up in a use of force scenario that really was unwarranted. And I'm not saying the George Floyd, I'm not even making that connection there. I'm just saying in general, if we could slow down situations and use our our voice and distance as well. Sometimes we close the distance way too soon. And so those are things that are taught with hostage negotiators and with even emergency services team, or a lot of people call them the SWAT team. Those are parts of policing that we've learned a great deal about how communication skills are really effective in coming out with a positive outcome. And especially when we know that about 50%, if not more, of our hostage and barricade situations involve somebody who's high on cocaine or some other drugs or alcohol, those things don't usually go well with rational thinking. And But yet we turn out great outcomes here in our city. It's because we understand time and distance is so important and we just need to get that funneled down to patrol. And let them see that, yeah, there might be four or five calls pending on your screen. They'll be there when you're done handling this effectively and appropriately. But we're I certainly- wish I could go back to training in the academy. <laughs> But we're certainly not saying that I know, Dottie, you were capable when somebody resisted and the use of force had to scale. You've been involved in police shootings. Correct. I have been. But again, and I said this to the females I was training yesterday, that sometimes the decision is taken away from you because of the suspect or person that you're dealing with actions and that you then have to escalate in your use of force. No matter what skills we train you, you still have to understand that these are your options. And that's just what we want officers to understand is that you have a lot of options and uh, to try to use them to the best of your ability. And nothing says that you're not going to have a death at some point, no matter how much training we provide. But we think we can definitely reduce those number of excessive force incidents and officer-involved shootings if we load this stuff up front and get officers to use better decision-making abilities. Now, I will say I am 100% behind this 30 by 30. I've been saying it for years we need more women in policing. 
But let's put this in the context of 2021. How do you possibly, I come from a whole line of police, my grandfather, my dad, my older cousin, my wife, my brother still is a police administrator. You want one common denominator between all of them? They don't want anybody in our family going into law enforcement. How are you possibly going to get highly qualified applicants to show any interest in law enforcement right now? Well, I I truly believe we have to recruit at a much younger age. And I know there's a lot of talk right now about disbanding school resource officer programs, but you put the right officers in our schools, in the middle schools, where they're forming relationship with kids that are on the fence, whether or not cops are good or cops are bad, and you build that relationship. And then you have officers that are working in your high schools and you build that relationship and you're showing them that cops can go out and play basketball and and they can just help you academically even. We have our SROs that are actually tutoring kids because they're math wizards or whatever, whatever their area of expertise is. And so those things help with recruitment. I think if you wait until they're in college, it's too late. Number one, some of our standards say you can't have smoked weed in the last five years. Well, uh, there goes your applicant pool because (laughs) a lot of our states, marijuana is legal now. So we've got to get with the times and change. And we also have to lessen some of our standards like body art. I said that the other day, body art, and somebody goes, what is that? I'm like, tattoos and piercings. I mean, the general public have tattoos and piercings. As long as your tat is not offensive to the public, I think that's something we can let slide, whether or not our officers have those. Those are some of the things. So looking at our standards, and then also, where are we recruiting? I think churches are an awesome place, because maybe the youth aren't in church, but I'll tell you who is, their grandma, their parent, And they're thinking about, oh, never thought about that as an occupation. When I tell women, especially, you make equal pay for equal work. When women here in the U.S. are making 76 cents for every dollar a man makes, and I tell you, you're going to make equal pay, and the benefits are great. And yes, shift work isn't awesome, but you can raise a family. You can be a single mom and do very, very well as a law enforcement officer. And so when I start to think about where else should we be recruiting, who else should we be partnering with, Boys and Girls Club, our youth centers, we should be recruiting there. And maybe they're too young to apply today, but they won't be in five years or 10 years. And as we see our our agencies start to lose people through attrition, you got to be thinking about years to come, how we're going to do this. So I think the 30 by 30 initiative, I like the fact that they didn't say we're getting this done next year or the following year, that they actually said, this is going to take time to build this shift in philosophy, this paradigm shift of that. We are only hiring big and brawn. No, we're hiring people that have the appropriate skills to police well in their community, which is usually communication skills, de-escalation skills, and certainly will give them all the other things that they need to protect themselves and third parties who may be in danger. Who other than you is carrying that message? Because I, I came on at a time when we had community policing, a lot of money coming out. So departments adopted this, but they didn't know what they were doing. I joke with my dad all the time. He was with the Indiana State Police for 35 years. And I said, for most of your career, they were on you every single month. Didn't make enough traffic stops, not making enough contacts. He knows every human being. My daughter said the other day, is there anybody my grandpa doesn't know? And I I told him one time in the 90s, I said, if you went back to work, 
you would be a rock star because they're trying to teach officers, get out of the car, build relationships. People wanted to be a police officer. He stopped people. I don't know that he ever wrote tickets. He corrected the behavior. How right now, because there's so much hatred toward police. And if I don't come up in a family where I've seen law enforcement, and all of a sudden I'm looking at this from the outside, it's a scary time to be a cop in the U.S. I just Are they investing in this recruiting right now? So the 30 by 30 initiative, agencies can sign on to be a partner to that. And I'm really proud because I reached out to, uh, it was Sergeant Sofia Rosales-Catina with Fort Wayne PD when I spoke to her about this initiative. And I'm so proud to say she just got promoted to Captain Sofia Rosales-Catina. And she is in charge of recruitment and their community initiative and also a quadrant of the city. So she has a lot of responsibilities on her plate. But when I told her about this, I'm like, Sophia, we've been 9% since I've been on the agency. We've got to do better. And this is a way you can do it by buying into that, working with other people on what they are doing, how do they change. And I think one of our biggest message has got to be, folks, if you're tired of the way police officers act, in your community, then be part of the solution, not just complaining about it. What do you want to see? How do we get those people to the table? Do you have anyone that we could recruit? I mean, that's what you have to do is you have to say, look, community, we want to work with you here, but that means you got to come alongside us. And so the recruitment effort has to be a community-wide effort. And yesterday, Captain Scatina actually posted and did a uh, interview with one of our local TV channels about their recruitment efforts. And I will tell you that the hate comments that came out on <laughs> Twitter today were just horrible. There was not one positive thing said about recruiting law enforcement officers. And I got to reach out to her today because I don't want her to be dissuaded from doing her job. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's going to be difficult. But I think if we can continue these conversations with people saying, we're not perfect, and we know there are some issues, and we know that we have the ability to affect change. We've done it in several programs. Look at, Mike, with our domestic violence unit and the lethality assessment program and with the crisis intervention team with being able to treat people who have mental illness with dignity and respect. We made a lot of changes and strides. This is just one more area where we have got to spend the time and energy to refocus what our recruitment efforts look like. And I'm, I'm happy to say that Indianapolis Metro has signed on to that program. And you can go on the site, the 30 by 30 initiative, and see what agencies. And right now, there's only about 20, I believe, that have signed on across the country. So to have two, our largest cities in Indiana signed on, I think that speaks testament to what we want to do to affect change here in Indiana. Wow. Well, Dottie, thanks for coming on and sharing all of this. It really is a pivotal time. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're speaking to in this movement and initiative is solutions. And that's what I think we're all looking for now. Give me a solution to the problem. Let's not just keep throwing fire on a problem. Let's figure out how to solve it. So thank you. We appreciate you coming on. Yes, Dottie. And is it, just for those that are listening, is there a link or a place that we can direct them for the 3030 initiative? 
Yeah, if they just put into any search engine 30x30, it's going to come up. It's the first thing that pops up and you can go on there and read all about it and see who signed on and what they can do to sign on. And it's not a cost factor. It's an initiative that we're just getting people to buy into. Fantastic. Thank you, Dottie, so much. What a what a wonderful, wonderful career and, and what a wonderful service you're doing really for our community. My pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate the time this morning. This podcast is sponsored by Safe Ministry Solutions, which offers a 360 security solution that keeps your church, your congregation, and your ministry safe.